When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, happy anniversary, mate. Yeah, one year, Kevin. One year. My word. This is our closest pod to our first anniversary. To think just a year ago we'd barely met and now we're talking about genital shaving in front of thousands of people. I understand Guy has got us a very expensive present. I mean, it might be a car. Who knows? I'm sure he must have got a couple of spare Audis knocking about. Possibly a Financial Times and, and who knows? Another, that would be just my life. I can't drive. I, I don't read the Financial Times and I'm not shaving my genitals even for our sponsors. But that'll be what Kieran gets me. Well, Kieran, well, yes, you. That'll be what Guy gets me. Um, it's odd, isn't it? It's, it's been a, it's been a funny old year, as they say. Uh, I've, I feel like I've known you forever. I'm not sure that's good or bad. Yeah, well, I, I think well, I've got to be honest. When, when we first pitched to you on Twitter, I, I still think you, I was absolutely amazed that you bothered to respond. But uh, yeah, it was a yeah, it, time it's exceeded me. expectations. It certainly has. Yeah, I, <laughs> it. Um, it just made me laugh because I, I quite often, uh, off the off you know, a pod recording, I'll go back into the house and say to Ali, "Oh, Kieran said something funny," and Ali will just go, "I don't know why you just don't, why don't you marry Kieran then?" <laughs> I go, "Well, because we're already married, darling." <laughs> when I said it was our anniversary, so <laughs> her eyebrows did a full Kevin Day impression. But anyway, happy anniversary and uh, thank you to all our listeners who've been uh, with us since the very start. Um, you know who you are, Martin. Uh, uh, now, later in the show, Kieran, we'll be hearing from Guy Branston, who you spoke to. Now, Guy played for Oldham, Rotherham and Sheffield Wednesday in a 20-year professional career and now looks after all the loan deals at Leicester. Uh, and Guy uh, Branston, and I'm not proud of this, will be the filling in a big old news sandwich uh, because um, we've got a lot of news stories to come, but we need to deal with our first big news story, which is the fallout from Project Big Picture, Man United and Liverpool's blueprint for a new Premier League, as we promised on Monday. And we've had a lot of a lot of questions about this, Kieran, and a lot of comments. Uh, but unfortunately, things have moved on a little bit, haven't they? Because the Premier League had a meeting today and it doesn't look like the Premier League are inclined to take Project Big Picture any further. Well, yeah, this, this is a weird one. Um, the Premier League have come out and said that they have unanimously agreed that Project Big Picture 
will not be endorsed or pursued, mm. which makes you wonder why Manchester United and Liverpool spent three years working on it if they've yeah. unanimously agreed to, in the space of three days since it was leaked, to, to not take it further. So I would take that with a, a large pinch of salt. And, and I expect that some of the elements of Project Big Picture and I've, you know, I've, I've, I've got version 18 sitting in front of me um, on, on, on my laptop. There are some pro- there are some progressive points about it. There are yeah. some good things. Um, so it, we, we shouldn't sh- sh- throw out the whole issue. And if it makes for a sensible and mature debate about the strategic football of English football, uh, then then it's some good come come of this. But some of the elements uh, in terms of the governance of the game and, and the control of the game, which you would have put, which would have given the likes of John Henry and uh, Joel Glazer more control over the Premier League than they do of the Boston Red Sox and the Tampa mm. Bay, whatever it is mm. that they that they own back in the States. You know, that, to me, seems intuitively wrong. Um, and it, it did. It, it, I think that really riled fans. Um, some of the initial issues, such as 20 clubs going down to 18, well, we, you know, we, we say that we've been together for a year. We we said this a year ago, yeah, and, and it, yeah. it was just a case of when rather than if. So you know, the, the, the shock horror reaction, which I had as well, actually seeing it in black and white, mm. has dissipated. That that's going to go ahead, and and some of the other issues are going to go ahead as well, which we might not particularly like. I'm glad you said there are there are some progressive suggestions in there because. I think we had some fair criticism. We had some unfair criticism. Of course, some Man United and Liverpool fans are always going to defend their club, whatever the owners of their club do. And I think you should make a distinction between the owners and the club. Um, and I understand that. I, I instinctively get defensive if people criticise Steve Parrish, for example, when that's not necessarily a, a good thing. But I think there was some fair criticism from us that we didn't, take a, a more nuanced view that there are things people said there are things in here that will help the EFL and I'm glad that you you acknowledge that there Kieran but it the, the times who broke the story first that the Premier League have unanimously agreed to to not go ahead with project big picture as it stands clearly imply that Man United and Liverpool and the other four clubs have sort of been bought off a little bit that the the rest of the Premier League will be agreeing to some of the big issues, which also kind of implies that Man United and Liverpool probably knew that in the first place, that if they asked for some impossible things, they would end up getting some of the more possible things, if you see what I mean. So do you think there's an element of that? Yeah, I'm sure we've both done that, Kevin, in the past ourselves. Yes, yeah. I'm I'm slightly worried about where you're going with this, Kieran. I hope it's not Russia, but there you go. (laughs) Um, Yes, yes. Sometimes you you pitch something outrageous and and you end up getting half of it, yeah. which is what you initially expected. So so this this is this is a classic negotiation tactic. Um, yeah, I, I anticipate first of all there will be a reduction in size of the Premier League. Mm. There will be a scrapping of the Carabao Cup. Um, that some of the Premier League clubs uh, who have been pushing for the right to sell their TV rights themselves, mm. they will be given an an element of that. Um, and we've got to be honest, Liverpool and Manchester United are global brands. Yeah. 
and, and they had global fan bases. And, and you can understand that in 1992, uh, the Premier League had to give away overseas TV rights. Mm. They, 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 they gave them for nothing. And by the time they paid for the transmission costs, they were actually out of pocket. We are not in 1992. Yeah, the world has changed. And I'm not saying it's changed for the better. Um, if, if you take a look at that first uh, Premier League TV, so that, that first Premier League uh, table at the end of the season, yeah, Manchester United won it, but second yeah. with Villa, third was Norwich. You heard Wimbledon finishing above Spurs, I think, yeah, yeah. things can of we, that can nature. We not, can we not talk about that Premier League table, Kieran, if you don't mind? Can you just stop where you are? That's fine. Thank you. Right. Digging up very bad memories, yeah. Um, but it, it has changed, and perhaps we've got to acknowledge that the the romantic view of sport that you and I have mm. is one of idealists. Yes, and we're going to have to give something away, but we, but at the same time, we need safeguards. We need a system of checks and balances. And what we have at present is is too much geared towards self-regulation. And, and in my experience, self, self-regulation is a bit like self-abuse. It makes you very short-sighted in terms of your decision-making. And we've seen that with, with some of the things which have taken place in the Premier League and in the EFL. You know, clubs gambling everything on trying to get promoted, short-sighted decisions which have really come back to bite clubs um and risk their futures yeah i i i picked up some new glasses last week here and stronger glasses and i'd like to point out it's because i'm getting old and not because of what you implied um do you know do you know who i think is going to come out well out of this eventually and also out of the 14 pound 95 pay-per-view is non-league football teams i can't tell you the amount of people who have said to me in the past few days that's it i've had enough i'm going to watch i'm going to watch non-league football so i think that's something to look out for i i do want to pass a couple of things by you, Kieran, before we get into some questions that we've had on specific parts of this. There's two things that jumped out at me from Project Big Picture. One was this idea that the Big Six would pool money for stadium improvements, which could have seen Spurs and Liverpool get money for payouts uh, for work they've already done. Now, I'm not entirely sure how that would have worked. Yeah, um, what the Premier League was, was going to say was that the infrastructure in stadiums needs to be addressed and therefore a, effectively a proportion of the TV money was going to go on capital projects. And that was going to be backdated um, for the last decade. So um, if, if you take a look at you know, who, who have done some larging, and this would affect my club as well. So, you know, Spurs have spent a fortune. Mm. They they would get um I think it was I think it was the aim was to give fifty percent of the cost would come from the Premier League for any clubs that were going to do stadium expansions. So that has implications for you at Sellers Park. Yeah. Um Liverpool have expanded the, their main stand. They've gone up from you know forty five to fifty four thousand. Could be that Manchester City they've expanded the Etihad. We've expanded, you know, we've moved into the Amex. Mm. So, so to encourage clubs to do things because we've said on more than one occasion, Old Trafford is looking tatty. Yes, and, and you know, for, for, yeah. for, for one of our flagship football clubs to to be living in such a tatty stadium, now it could be argued that if, if they should be spending more money on that and less on slightly duff 
signings. But yeah, that's that's a separate issue. But at least the Premier League were were giving people an incentive to invest in better facilities for fans. And, and surely as fans, we should welcome that. The fact that it's being given retrospectively, that that didn't feel comfortable with me because yeah, the decisions were made at the time uh, to expand the grounds and, and the clubs have benefited from increased revenues as a result. Hmm. I'm, a, I'm afraid I can't resist saying this, Kieran, and I drifted off a little bit towards the end there because I was mentally debating whether I should say it out loud or not, but the universe will punish me if I don't. I believe slightly Duff is Damien's younger brother. Is that right? Um, <laughs> Very good. There was another, <laughs> there was an, I'll do the comedy sound effects if you don't mind, Mr Maguire. I know it's our anniversary. Let's not have a, let's not have a row on our anniversary. Um, <laughs> and another suggestion, and I, and I believe it, this was driven by Manchester City's chief executive, was the introduction of Premier League B teams. Now, in a, in a package that's being sold uh, as helping the League, League One and League Two, I don't see how the introduction of Premier League B teams could in any way, shape or form help League One or League Two clubs uh, unless they say that those clubs will get bigger attendances if if Manchester are playing Man United's B team, for example, rather than a team that would be replaced, I presume, by Man United's B team. Well, I, I think... The way that it, this potentially is going to work is that the crew or Morecambe or Rochdale, wherever it's going to be, um, under the proposals, a Premier League club would be allowed to um, lend, be able to loan uh, 15 players and up to four players for a partic- for one particular team. So crew could end up with four players from Manchester City. Right. So it, it wouldn't quite be Manchester City B but it wouldn't be quite the crew that you were expecting. Now, if those players were good and, and they helped to get crew promoted, I provided I think that there was a limit on the number of players that could go in total to an individual uh, EFL club, then the fans would buy into that. Mm. So, But one of the other things in, in Project Big Picture was that uh, clubs would be – clubs in League One and League Two – would be allowed to scrap having academies. Right. So I think those particular clubs would be very desperate for this loan system. Now, that there's positives and negatives in that. If you get rid of your, your academy, from, from a financial point of view, you're getting rid of costs. Mm. So you, you can see the benefits. But then you look at it from the point of view of Exeter, Exeter have just made £4 million because Ollie Watkins going from Brentford to Villa yeah. meant that their add-on fee – uh, on, on the deal was was their biggest ever transfer income. So having an academy can certainly work. Um, it's also providing opportunities for people in Exeter and, and some of the more regional parts of the country who wouldn't necessarily be spotted as easily un- unless they went to local clubs. So um, I, I feel slightly uneasy by this. Um, it's not just Manchester City. Who have suggested? You know, I've heard this from a few parties over the course of the the last few years. And uh, you know, I, I was I was on a Millwall uh, podcast earlier today, uh, and I was saying, well, what did you think of this? And, and their attitude was, well, if you think we're becoming West Ham B, I think you can probably gather the rest of the sentence. I, I can, and I I concur, and I think that's an attitude that most clubs would take, isn't it? I'm guessing. 
you can't you can't it shows a basic misunderstanding of of the tribal identity of english football um there's one other thing as well okay i mean rick rick parry's had a an up and down sort of week um and rick parry's probably done as much media this week as you have which is saying something but basically rick parry and i wrote this down because rick and it's on five live rick parry basically said he blamed the premier league for football's financial problems um in particular for the problems of championship clubs because he said that the very dream of being in the Premier League, the very existence of the Premier League, is driving championship clubs onto the rocks um, and that making it harder to get into the Premier League would actually be doing championship clubs a favour, which is, is an odd way of looking at things, isn't it? Uh, yeah, because if he's supposed to be representative of, of the... Of of the EFL to to make it more difficult for them to achieve their their yeah. dreams and you know why why do the likes of of Mel Morris invest so much in uh, in Derby County and then you've got the Coates family it's like they they want to be at the top level um, yeah he, he's had a he's not he's, he's had a bit of an up and down week and and there's been some accusations made at him which I've felt uh, I, I'm not convinced that they are correct but. Um, I think Greg Clark from the FA was implying that uh, Rick Parry was trying to encourage the likes of Manchester United and Spurs to leave the Premier League as part of you know strong arm negotiating tactics. And you know if, if, if you're going to come out with stuff like that, I, I think you, know, you need you need to evidence it so that there's been a lot of there's a lot of rancor uh, in the air and a lot of bad feeling. And certainly, I, I saw an interview with. Uh, with Rick and uh, Sally Nugent um, on BBC Breakfast, and she, you know, she was she was giving him you know, a good sort of a good Paxman style grilling, and he, he was looking like you know, he just found a pube in his his Weetabix, you know, which, <laughs> which you won't get, of course, if you use Manscaped. And for a twenty percent discount, just use the code Price of Football. Good work, well done, Kieran. Um, well, also I, you were on BBC News last night, six thirty, the grown up news. Uh, and I was very impressed that once again, live on national news, you had a massive copy of your book displayed on the shelf behind you. <laughs> uh, there was one glaring omission, I have to say, on the bookshelf behind you, but we'll pass over that. Um, well, that's because you've not yet sent me a copy, Kevin. Haven't I? No. Oh, sorry. I asked Bloomsbury. <laughs> oh, no, no, this is going to sound terribly wanky. I asked Bloomsbury to do that, darling. I do beg your pardon. I'm sorry. Um, I'm, I'm probably so far down their list of celebs <laughs> that you're, you're aware of, you're quite friendly shall. with. I shall ensure forthwith. I, I shall book a pigeon and get it sent down to you. Um, I, I did have your friend Richard Foster's book over my shoulder instead. Oh, great! Thank you. Yeah, the, the, yes, Richard Foster, good, good Palace fan, of course. Yeah, of course, uh, Premier League Nuggets is a very good book. Yeah. Um, let's. We we on Monday, Kieran, we did say to people that this is this is not questions day; it's news day. And I realise that structure wise, we're already all over the place. But we did say to people, if you have questions about Project Big Picture, please send them in. And my God, did people send them in? Um, they they really did. So I, I apologise in advance if we don't ask your specific question. Um, we will we will be talking about this for weeks to come, so we will get round to your questions. And again, if your question is not asked, it possibly will be in on next Monday's questions pod. But feel free to keep asking it if you don't feel we've we've covered it. Uh, John Lish um, and Jude McCarthy asked virtually the same question, which was basically: Could the other fourteen clubs have called the Big Six's bluff? Uh, and basically said, right, you go away and have your own league and we'll get Rangers and Celtic and four championship clubs to join us and carry on as the Premier League. Um, 
P- potentially, yes, they could. Um, I, I, I just wonder what we would end up with, though. I mean, Leeds United, Newcastle, West Ham, Everton, Rangers, Celtic. I, I, yeah, that would still be quite an attractive product. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that 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 could potentially have, have worked. Um, it, it wouldn't have been as lucrative. But uh, I'm not convinced that if if that bluff was called, that all of the big six, uh, he might have said, well, actually, we're Sp-. now Spurs. Remember, when was the last time Spurs actually won the top division? Was it 1962? 61. 61. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I could see Pat, they might say, well, oh, oh, yeah, we, we've had a rethink. And, uh, you know, if, if if it was just Manchester United and Liverpool, that they are the two biggest clubs in the Premier League. They're two yep. of the biggest clubs in the world. Yep. Um, in, in terms of global support, uh, it could have just been those two uh, because, you know, Stan Kroenke at Arsenal, Daniel at Spurs would think, well, hold on, we, we could now win the Premier League. We would therefore got a far greater chance of getting into the Champions League. We'll, we'll revisit uh, our decision. Mm. But uh, yeah, it, it, even if all six had gone, it, it would still be really attractive because... Yeah, Newcastle, Leeds, Everton, West Ham, Rangers, Celtic, Villa. You know, they're, they're all clubs with big fan bases mm. um, and uh, big history and heritage. Yeah, Simon Hudson uh, pointed out that the Premier League is already pretty unfair as a sporting competition anyway, when you consider the resources of the big six. Presumably, this would have made it even less sporting, in which case, is just being in the Premier League enough for the likes of Burnley, Palace, Brighton, i.e. is it going to keep you financially stable being in a league that you can't possibly win? Um, well, yeah, if you take a look at the, the difference between the top and the bottom of the Premier League, um, the, the club with the biggest revenue is generating around about four times as much as that of the, the, the bottom. Um, these proposals um, would have extended that gap. Uh Huddersfield, Cardiff, Brighton, Palace, we're never going to win the Premier League. So is what we've got to do is to say, well, or rather our club owners have got to say is, well, is actually competing in those leagues enough? Because if you talk to people in Scotland, you know, if, you, if you're supporting Motherwell, Aberdeen, Kilmarnock, you know that you're never, ever going to win the Scottish Premiership. You look to see what we've got in Italy and uh, in Germany and Spain, and I mean, France is probably the most extreme version, perhaps. Mm. Um, that that's where we are, uh, and I still get quite excited when when we are playing uh, Manchester United and Liverpool. I get most excited when we're playing Palace, and of course, uh, as we are on Sunday. And, as we are on Sunday, mm. uh, I'm, I'm doing a Palace podcast after the match. What? Which, yeah. Who? Which one? Red and blue. Oh, okay. All right. Yes. So I, I don't know whether we'll be talking or rather they'll, you know, which are, but. Uh, Shouldn't you be doing a Brighton podcast after the game? You're, you're very free with your favourites. You know that. Well, well, we have in fact both been invited onto a Brighton podcast, but on 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 uh, both our behalves, I, I, I declined uh, mainly because I've got six podcasts arranged tomorrow um, and eight newspaper and radio interviews uh, uh-huh. and uh, the, the Baroness does think I'm talking to, to other people far too far too often and yeah. her not enough. He's like an 18th century courtesan. That's that's very kind of you to decline on my behalf. I would love to have been given the opportunity of saying no to a Brighton podcast on my own back, <laughs> if that's all right. Um, a question from Nobby Clark. Uh, I believe it's the Nobby Clark uh, 
that we know as a Palace fan. Yes. Have um, have Liverpool and Man United actually stepped outside EFL or FA rules here by by coming up with this this arbitrary um, blueprint? And if so, are there any sanctions that could be levied against them? No, no. There, there is there is nothing wrong with um, discussing me- discussing measures which they consider to be for the benefit of the game. Yeah. Now, some, some, as we've said, you know, so, some of the proposals, I, I think, do potentially uh, benefit the game. They benefit Liverpool and Manchester United more than anybody else. And you know, in terms of the transference of power, yeah, you know, for things such as uh, Liverpool and Manchester United, in effect, would be choosing... Uh, the the wage cap in the championship. Yeah, if I was a championship club owner, I'd feel a little bit uncomfortable about that. Mm. Uh, potentially, they could have changed relegation down to uh, two down instead of and two down and two up instead of three down three up, or or some sort of complication of that. Uh, they could have moved for all of the overseas rights to be sold individually by clubs, leaving the EFL just to sell domestic rights, and that would have huge implications for the likes of. You know, Pat Fulham, Brighton, Palace, Burnley, who, you know, whilst we've got a lot of time for the people that run our clubs on an individual basis, um, you know, try, trying to sell Brighton's home games to Malaysia is, is going to be a tough gig. Mm. Um, and having the, the Premier League sell everything on, on behalf of the clubs was, was, was ben- it benefits us proportionately more than the bigger clubs. Um, so, no, there are no sanctions um, unless you know, it, it can be proven that uh, there was breaches of confidence and, and things of that nature. Yeah, so when you say a Liverpool Man United could have um, enforced the salary cap in the Championship, that would have been as a, a contingency for giving them a massive bailout, presumably they would have to agree to a salary cap. That, that's right. Again, yeah, looking yeah. at the version of Project Blueprint I've got, in front of me, uh, yes, the the, the 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 Premier League uh, deciding council. The way that it worked, that, that effectively only nine clubs would ha- nine clubs would have inv- enhanced votes, and you'd only need six clubs to make a decision. Well, um, th- and those decisions would impact upon not just the Premier League, but also upon the EFL. Um, Adam Duda is uh, somebody we've had questions from before, and I think this. Is possibly the best question we've had, or at least the best conspiracy theory question we've had, because Adam says that Amanda Staveley uh, accused Liverpool and United of trying to block the recent Newcastle takeover bid. Uh, in the light of what you, you know, Liverpool and United are trying to do now, could we possibly see any legal implications because of that ap- accusation? Well, I mean, Newcastle United are presently in litigation with the Premier League um, and there, there were accusations and you know, f- football is a rumour mill uh, and decisions are being made by WhatsApp groups and things of this nature. Um, Liverpool and Manchester United do not want more competition and again one of the more insidious uh, elements of project uh, big picture would be that those clubs would have been able to veto changes of ownership, i.e. to prevent somebody rich coming in. Oh, okay. Because yeah. if there's going to be, you know, if, let's assume that there's still going to be a maximum of four places in the Champions League, you don't want the big six becoming the big seven because 
six into four is tough, seven into four is tougher. Yeah. Uh, now, this is going to be the last question on Project Big Picture. And I apologise again, as I said, to all those people who sent questions in uh, and didn't get them asked. I'm hoping that um, quite a few of the questions that you asked have been covered by what Kieran said. Anyway, but again, do feel free to ask us again uh, questions at priceoffootball.com if you want to do so. The Leon Morgan has asked the last question. And Leon says that both of you were against Project Big Picture proposals in Monday's pod. But is there a modified version you would support? And Kieran, what about your hashtag project Dullard? And before you tell us about that, I think basically that I would I would support an NFL style distribution of all the money made across all four divisions plus a version of the Bundesliga fifty plus one rule. But that's that's for a whole podcast, and I'm a romantic idiot. So, Kieran, tell us about hashtag project Dullard. Um, well, did, as, sorry, did that sound a bit local TV? <laughs> Kieran, tell us about hashtag project Dullard. Well, as as the world's dullest man, being a colourblind, teetotal, chartered accountant, yeah, um, love of spreadsheets on paper. Yes, on paper, you're the world's dullest man. In in yeah, in reality, in, in Moscow, things are different. Yeah. <laughs> I believe they've put a statue up now, haven't they? In Moscow, have you? Uh, not quite. <laughs> I think I was. I, I, without going into too much details, um, I, I think I'm banned from going back there. So. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. She she tried no, no. to kill me one once, and things deteriorated. Well, they, uh, got, they got worse than she tried to kill you. Yeah. It, well, How could it get worse than she tried to kill you? Unless, you said you wouldn't go into detail. I th- okay, we're already half an hour into this pod, and we've got, okay. we've got Guy Branston to come and some more news stories. So let's let's mull that over over our anniversary dinner, darling, later on, shall we? <laughs> and I'll ask you why you've never mentioned that before. Okay. Um. Right. Uh, so so the, what I did is I, I I tried to come up with what I felt was a set of reasonable suggestions. Um. An immediate fifty million pounds bailout for clubs in League One and Two. Now, this is actually now being enshrined by the Premier League itself as part of the announcement. Um, yeah. Then a, a a hardship fund for clubs in the Championship yeah. um, of a hundred million, and um, this would be given effectively on a merit basis because if you've got six or seven clubs in in the in the Championship who are already receiving parachute payments actually they they're not as bad off as some of the others we've seen we've seen uh Bournemouth sell players for around about 60 million we've seen yeah. um Norwich sell players as well we've seen Brentford um I've just been on a on a QPR podcast as well today and that, yeah they've said they sell Eze to you yeah. so you know some of these clubs they're not in a great nobody's in a great financial position but some of them are not facing genuine hardship you've got the Coates family at uh, at Stoke, who have been incredibly generous and have funded that club. Well, I think they can probably afford to continue to fund that club. But the likes of Millwall and uh, QPR and, and clubs of that nature, who who don't have that degree of wealth, and Rotherham and so on, and Luton. Yeah, we, remember we've we've had uh, we've had Gary Gary uh, Sweet on the show here, yeah, um, talking about how tough it is. Um, that those clubs do need support, and that would be sort of done on a, on a, on a needs must basis, and, and that we could, that could be quickly assessed. How would this be funded? I, I proposed a one percent levy on the gross of all football bets that are placed. Yeah, um, that would raise 
based on my calculations, about £140 million a year. Um, a 3% levy on all football transfers above £10 million. So it would still allow the lower league clubs to invest in players and sign and so on. But if you can afford to pay £10 million, you can afford to pay a little bit extra. And that money would go into support grassroots. Um, and then um, a, a football ombudsman, you know, a, a, an independent regulator, as, as we have in the likes of the NFL mm. uh, and places of that organisation, because I, I do feel uncomfortable that the, the EFL rejected um, the the proposal put forward by by a leading QC to have three independent directors on the board. Yeah. Um, the concentration of power in in the hands of the clubs itself, as I implied earlier doesn't always lead to, to good decision making and not it doesn't lead to good transparency um so so that was project dullard um which which i wrote whilst walking the dog that's 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 a clever trick um as eric morgan would say um two things i would say to that kieran before we move on your betting levy idea is one that i think needs to be explored more fully and put to the powers that be because we had a really good response when you first mentioned it a couple of weeks ago that you know so many people are uneasy about uh, the the involvement of gambling companies in football but if they were forced to hand over some of the money to make football better some people would rest more easily and secondly all these pods you're doing I, have you got one of those little silver balls that Hermione Granger had in Harry Potter that where she just turned back time so she could do more lessons because I I'm trying to work out how you fit these all things. Anyway, um, we we haven't got time for extraneous chat about Harry Potter. Um, <laughs> not in this. No, you can't mention J.K. Rowling without getting in my house without. Uh, never mind. Uh, anyway, before we get into the week's other news stories, um, and this is already one of the more unusual pods we've done. It's not often, Kieran, that we get to hear from uh, actual Premier League club staff. But you spoke earlier to Guy Branston. Uh, a very useful ex-professional footballer who's now in charge of Leicester City's loan deals. And this is what he had to say. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion, you do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. 
thank you so much for coming on the show. How are you? I'm fantastic, thanks. Great, great. So, so you are uh, Leicester City's loan manager. That's right. Now, I think a lot of fans aren't really quite sure what envisages. So, what are you sort of doing on on a regular basis in your role? I'm managing, um, I'm preparing, and prepping everything to do with a loan out of the club. Um, so if we have a, a young lad who needs to go and play football and go and get some game time at a certain age, then I'll prep and prepare and pass on to the, the, the higher bodies at the football club uh, to then decide if we're going to go ahead with the loan. Um, I'll speak to the player, the agent, the family, the club that he might be going to and get everything in, in, in line to be agreed. Right, right. So, so what would you normally be looking for? Is it sort of if he's sixteen or seventeen, perhaps starting off in non-league or League Two, and, and then as his career develops? I mean, yeah, as you know, I'm, I'm a Brighton fan, and we've seen Ben White go from Newport to Peterborough to Leeds, and then to Brighton's first team. So, do you sort of in your head you can see a development pathway for an individual player? Yeah, there's not just me involved in obviously the decision making. There's there's various people within the football club. So you've got sporting director, 23's manager, analyst, um, head of recruitment, you know, obviously the gaffer in Brendan Rogers. So there's a lot of discussion to be had beforehand of the, the so-called uh, lads pathways. Um, that will start from, you know, what they're doing in training to where they need to be in training to where they need to be in game time to where they need to be in the position of the football club um, in the first team group, in the 23s, just outside the 23s, in the 18s. And then them sorts of groups of players that obviously there's quite a lot at a Premier League football club start to come uh, into my understanding and my arena and, and I have to start looking at uh, where they're at and what stages they're at and where they might be in the football pyramid. Um, ages that you mentioned there a bit bit younger than we like to loan out. Um, we loaned out a couple of 17-year-olds last year to another academy, top academy, uh, to get some more game time in their legs because they struggled with injury. And that's usually uh, cap one to say cap two or cap two uh, to cap three, that sort of decision-making. Um, when we go back into the 23 group, um, the players that usually get loaned out are either, we don't like to say, but, you know, probably moving away at the end of the season. Um, but there's also a group that, that look like they're going to make a career out of it. Uh, there's another group that looks like they're going to be, you know, be in first team group at some point, uh, the stars. And we, we, try, we kind of put them into different sections um, in our heads and we discuss it over the table and decide, you know, what's going to happen as the window starts to open. Um, and as the window starts to close, you know, are we bringing them back? Are we letting them stay out on loan and all the various conversations that go out? It's not just a quick and easy process, unfortunately. Right, right. So in terms of that, that decision, is, is it a case of you and your, your team and you know, Brendan and, and everybody at the club, do they sort of sit down with the player and say, you know, this is what we're thinking of doing with you or – do you sort of put feelers out to other clubs to say, well, we, you know, we've got a, a left-sided midfield player, or we've got a, we've got a striker, um, and you effectively put them not on the transfer list, but you you make it known to other clubs, or or, or is it the same as a football manager where you just sort of ping on a right back and here's a list that come up automatically <laughs> from some sort of giant server in the middle of the world? It's all some sort of magic in 
that only football loan managers and football clubs know about. Yeah, well, we have um, it's a case by case basis, so there's not uh, one thing fits all. Very much uh, uh, an understanding at the football club that we don't sell our players in regards to the loan players going out on loan. Uh, we don't need to go out there and, and chase a deal for these lads. These lads should have the ability to attract interest. Um, and, you know, we're very much understood about that. These lads are, have got to have the phone calls coming to me from various different people, you know, explaining their interest of a certain player. Um, so we don't go out there putting them on a list or, or you know, making them available or, or, you know, letting two people, too many people know about the situation regarding players because players need to feel wanted at the football club they're at uh, to perform at the highest level. So, you know, I'm, I'm fully aware of that and, and fully understanding of that having my own, you know, football career as a player. You want to feel loved, you want to feel uh, looked after and you also want to be um, thought upon as, as a player for the future at the football club, especially when you're young. So when we have an opportunity of getting a player to a loan club, the, the interest usually comes from the loan club, uh, from the management at the football club. Um, somebody's contacted me or, or contacted one of the staff and they usually point it back to me to discuss with the, the football club who are interested in the, the whatever player. Um, and then we'll discuss with the football club where the, that football club might see him fit uh, within the team, um, what position. Um, we keep it, you know, really basic in regards to 1-11, to 11, where do you see him playing? You know, if you see him as a left winger, do you see him coming inside? Do you want a right footer on the left wing or do you want a left wing on the right, a uh, left footer on the right wing? The various different details are quite important because we have them various different players that can fit that criteria. Uh, it's then understanding if them players are available to go out and loan again. Usually it's targeted, like I just said uh, previously, usually it's targeted by the club already interested in a certain player to fit a certain type within their football club. And like we all know, a lot of people have got opinions on football. So they'll come and discuss it with me and, and go, well, what do you think? Do you think he can play that way? Or do you want him to go out on loan in that position? And we've had them discussions in the past. And then if it gets to a stage where we're happy with the data from the club, we're happy with the playing style that they play, um, the understanding of the management that they've got, uh, the staff they've got, the, the way they look after loan players, and various different other details um, I have to check out, then we'll go to pass it up a, a level. And it's for the board then to discuss with their board if if the deal's um, acceptable. And, you know, nine times out of ten, it's about playing football and about the lad going out and developing as a footballer. So it's not really a relatively uh, biggish deal. Um, but, you know, it's something that the, the, the boards need to discuss together because that's the next stage of the, the move. Then it's either agreed or it isn't. Right. We've seen, or rather we've seen, I've seen the press sort of talked about, you know, Philip Coutinho was a £9 million loan fee from Barcelona to, to Bayern Munich, um, and then they pay a proportion of wages. Are, are, the, are the deals sort of tiered? Would you normally say to uh, a club that wants to loan one of your players, um, th- this is the deal, uh, but if he pays 75%, we'll knock 20% off the, the amount of money we're expecting, or... Is, or is, or you, is your main focus on the player and the club and, and you leave the money side of things to somebody else? Yeah, when I've been at football clubs before, I've handled the, the finances and handled the situation and done the deals myself. Uh, at this football club, my sporting director does the deals. How, um, to answer your question, you know, within football clubs, 
my opinion would be if you have an asset that's not going to play in your first team and he's an asset, why wouldn't you look for uh, to get his wages covered or to earn off that, like the Liverpool deal? You know, that's why they a lot of these bigger clubs buy these assets, uh, even to loan out and even to develop later on in, in their careers to play in their first team later on. So it's, it's a good business model, in my opinion, um, even with the way the, the figures you mentioned, they sound, you know, big, but that's just, you know, the, the costings of, of talented, talented footballers. And, and he's obviously one of them. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I mean, you're, you're right. I mean, I, certainly from, I look at it from a business point of view um, and we've seen clubs such as Chelsea. I think Chelsea had 41 players out on loan at one point. It's this season. It's down. It's down to 29 um, it's down. <laughs> down yeah. that, that, that'll keep your your spreadsheet not going fairly busy. I'd well, say. Man City, Man City have thirty five out, and they've got forty five to get out. So you know, there's there's a massive amount of of um, leeway in that that end of the market, um, and they've got you know whatever amount of size clubs to do it with, and also with also the rest of the market, and they've also got a lot of talented players, so they're going to loan these players out. Yeah, I mean, and, and that that makes sense. I mean, the, the player develops, gets experience, and you know, clearly some players develop at other at different points in their career. So you could have a player who was perhaps marginal, goes out on loan, he enjoys the experience, and comes through comes through positive, and then perhaps you'd reassess when the player comes back. Would that be the case? You know, if somebody's ex- exceeded expectations from from your perspective. Yeah, I mentioned earlier about putting them in um, you know mental brackets in your in your mind. You know, I, I look at players from my, you know, checkered football career and, and, and you know, various working at different levels. I, I think I've got a reasonable read on, on levels and talent of players going into them levels. And I've also got, you know, by my recruitment background, watching the level a lot, you know, kind of making sure I try and grab a game most nights. So I'm watching Crawley versus Arsenal tonight, which is obviously a Tuesday night. Um, to see the level of the 21s and also see the level of League 2. I watched Bradford versus um, Harrogate last night, sorry. And sometimes you get game blind and can't even remember the, the teams you're watching. You know, you always pick up one or two of the names, but there's that much going on within the industry. It's moving that quick. You've got to make sure that you're on on, on the, obviously, on point with everything. And, and when these lads come back, uh, you reassess, you discuss, um, it... it it's difficult to say that a loan experience is negative, in my opinion, because they should be looking to learn something from the, the experience anyway. So even if they don't play or, or they go away and play and don't enjoy where they live, they've learned the living end. You know, they go away and don't play and don't like the living end. They've learned something about themselves. I'm constantly being optimistic with them and I'm constantly trying to look for positives within this loan experience because I want them to go out, want to go on loan, want to come back because they want to prove themselves to Leicester City. But also, if that doesn't happen, I don't want them to just fall by the wayside. I want them to go out on loan again and prove themselves again and keep that continuation of, of positive resilience. And it's it might sound a bit, you know, uh, new world and, and, and showing empathy, but I've been in situations where it's got really dark out on loan as a player myself, and it doesn't benefit anybody. It doesn't benefit the player, the club, the, the club that's loaned you, your parents travelling down to watch, it doesn't benefit anyone to be negative. 
So you've got to make sure you, you, there's a level of optimism and also a level of positivity around whatever happens out and on this loan. It's fantastic the club want you to go out on loan to go and get the experience. It's fantastic that a club wants you, which it is. It's an amazing opportunity for a young lad to get wanted by a football club. And then it's about buying into the football club, buying into the standard, buying into the players you're playing with, buying into the dressing room. All these learning experiences can only be a positive experience for the rest of your life. Brilliant. In terms of monitoring players, uh, are you sort of in contact with them through WhatsApp? I mean, you know, we're living in COVID world, which must make your job that much more difficult. So, so what have been the challenges to you that have arisen as a result of of, uh, of COVID? Well, I'm, I'm the, the one of the biggest things is you mix them with a different generation. Uh, your mentality is different to theirs. They're a different group. They're different. They're different ages. They're from different backgrounds you know, culturally as well. So you, you, you have to tap into them as people. You build rapport first. You kind of know that probably the loan's going to happen. So, I, I, you know, I go down the training ground, I watch the training, I'm around the lads as the loan's about to happen or and the and the, kid, the lads are kind of reading that now. I've been in the job two years. Um, so the, the, the lads are kind of reading that when I'm around, they kind of know things are happening and, they're you know, they're bouncing up to me and having a chat with me. So the rapport's there. Um, they know my background. They know I've coached with them and worked with them as the pathway out, like we discussed earlier. So they know what I'm about as a person, and, and it's really important that 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 rapport and that engagement happens. Um, I'm, you know, after the deal's been agreed, I'm bang on the phone, you know, WhatsApping them from from the first week or so, just quite intensely to keep them informed of what's happening. I'm making sure the process is smooth over the first few weeks. I want them to swim. I don't want them to sink. And I want them to go out and enjoy themselves as well and not be, feel like, you know, we're mollycoddling them and we're over-intensive on them. So there's an element of understanding and asking them, you know, what, how do you feel about this? And what, what what's your thoughts on this? And, you know, am I okay with doing this? Can I call you, you know, at this time? And, and being respectful for them as lads. You know, uh, someone pestering me as a player, I would have got annoyed. And, you know, but I, I still would have needed guidance in certain areas. And that's where I think that I come in to try and understand the, that because of probably the mistakes my clubs made with me when I start, well, whilst I was out on loan, but also the mistakes I made personally. So it's understanding them situations and, and having that array of loans myself, 14 I, I had as a player. You know, I, I made a huge amount of mistakes, but I've also made some really successful loans and, you know, won promotions and carried on enjoying myself across the, the season. So, there's loads of positives I take from that and, and try and say, listen, I did this at this situation, lads. You want to try that? Or let's, you know, simplest of things, let's sit on the computer this afternoon and just go through the houses you might have on offer. You know, let, let's let's work through your, your, your hotel problem with the Wi-Fi. You know, these little intricate details mean the world to these lads. And I've got to be that go-to guy where they feel like they can turn to someone from the football club and go, this isn't happening, why guy? And I can go, that's the answer, leave it to me. And it's literally a click of the fingers and I'm, I'm cracking on with it for them and they can, they've got someone to turn to. Yeah, you know, they, are, they are young men, but they are also, you know, they are young. And it, it can be quite quite an intimidating experience, especially if it's, if it's geographically far away from, you, from your family, from your friends, your, your peer group. Uh, I can imagine it, it must be, you know, God said to have that mentor, that that person who who you feel is is watching your back at all time. I mean, ha, what what would you say would has been your your craziest, your 
loan experience in terms of the role that you played? I know you've been involved with loans and development at a number of clubs. Just, well, I've had, I've had quite a few crazy ones, but we was organising a deal um, for a player when I was at Chesterfield to go to a non-league club. And they were the up-and-coming non-league club that were paying lots of money. Um, so going back to the previous conversation about uh, sometimes looking for gaps in the loan market and looking for gaps in the financial element, I thought I'd drag some money back for the football club. Um, at the time, the chief executive left me to it with the deals. He said, always try and return 75% of anyone's wage. Uh, at the time, the player's wage was about £200 a week. So I obviously dragged back his wages and I made sure within every um, every successful detail that the player had, um, what I mean by successful detail is appearances, goals, assists. I tried to crank up the money each month um, of nearly £100 to £50. The non-league team were, were desperate for this player. They were ringing me constantly. The, 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 all the warning signs were there that this deal was really um, potent and really you know, bubbling to happen. So I thought that I'd push it as far as I could. And if he didn't go, he didn't go. We, you know, we've only um, missed out on the wage, but everything else was a bonus. And I got the everything signed off and he ended up getting injured in the first minute and missing about three months and ended up costing us money in medical insurance. But it's just one of, the, one of them situations that you fall into when you're doing these deals because they, they are all pie in the sky. You, you're trying to... You're trying to manipulate it in your favour. The club's trying to manipulate it in their favour. They're trying to get him out for as low as possible. You're trying to, you know, maximise the the asset that you've got. And uh, difficulties-wise, coming across, you know, various people you speak to at football clubs, you know, sometimes there's all sorts of characters getting involved in these lower league clubs. And you're trying to deal with one, then another one's ringing you whilst you're talking to that one and, you know, offering you £50 more as the deal's going on. So there's loads of different stuff going on behind the scenes that people just don't see. And that's the enjoyable part of being in this situation. That's really interesting. I mean, back in the day, loan deals were very simple. They've become a complicated old process, haven't they? I mean, Premier League clubs in particular have got... I mean, Chelsea must have 30 or 40 players out on loan at any one time. So I know Mark Bright at Palace is in charge of looking after where our players have gone and the players that we've got in and looking after the needs. It's, it's become a sort of mini industry in football, hasn't it? It, it is. But if, if you think about it, th- these players um, are assets of the club. So, so there is a financial, there is a business element to take into consideration. But one of the things which really came across to me from, from talking to Guy is, is that he was a player who'd been out on loan many times himself. Mm. And from his own experiences, some of them were terrible and some of them were good. We're also dealing with young men and it's a case of making sure that their welfare is taken into consideration, that there are too many people who are, you know, we spoke about gambling, who are, who are getting bored and getting sucked into gambling and things of that nature, who are not looking after themselves. Uh, if, if we take a look at the 18 to 35 year group, the biggest cause of death amongst men is suicide. Yeah. So it, it is good to hear. And, and I was really impressed by uh, his genuine care and concern. You know, He wanted to be their sounding board without being their mum. And yeah, he's, I've, I've met Guy before and he is, is, is a very decent human being, which, you know, and and again, so many football players or ex-football players, everybody throws them into the into the same bunch. Yeah, they're greedy. They do it. Yeah. But people people take a few 
headlines from from the tabloids and they tar the whole industry uh with 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 that particular brush but um there are good people in football looking after other people in football and guy's one of those people yeah and what's changed as well a friend of mine martin gritton he's, he's a very good footballer played for clubs like grimsby uh plymouth it's, he says what's different is like if if you've got a player going on loan from Palace, for example, or Millwall, going to Exeter or Yeovil, there's a big difference for a 19-year-old who's been brought up in Croydon going to, again, Exeter. And in the old days, nobody would have taken any notice of that. They would have just said, well, you get on with it. But now, as you say, clubs have got people whose job it is to keep an eye on the, the emotional well-being of youngsters who just want to play first team football, but uh, are suddenly in a completely different cultural environment. So that's, it's, it's good to hear that the, the, the mental and physical well-being of, of footballers is taken far more seriously than it used to be. This, this idea that you just get on with it is you kind of, like Martin said in his day, you just were told where you were playing, you got in a car, you drove there and you hoped they had a bedsit ready for you when you turned up. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, right, Kieran. The rest of this week's news stories are about to emerge, shivering from under the shadow of Project Project Big Picture. It's like, the, it's like when the ghost of Christmas present, and, you know, the two little raggedy figures from beneath the cloak of Christmas present. Oh, there wasn't a, a metaphor I was expecting to use. Uh, now, it's emerged, Kieran, and I think in, in the context of what Rick Parry's been saying about the need for Premier League money for the EFL, I think this is a very interesting story and one that's just gone slightly under the radar because it's emerged that the EFL rejected a £375 million offer from an American investing um, for a 20% stake of the EFL. Now, why would they look that sort of gift horse in the mouth in the current climate? Yeah, this this was a very strange one. Um, this was from a, a Texan private equity company. Now, the, the history of private equity historically is somewhat jaundiced because the, 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 a private equity company, what it normally tends to do is to, to go into a failing business, turn it around, slash costs, and, and then sell it on a profit. But what we are seeing these days is that uh, they're looking at the entertainment and the sports industries um, and, and trying to build them. So th- this was weird in, in the sense that the, the only way that this American company would have been successful would have been if the EFL was successful. So, so the plans were to get really involved with selling the broadcasting rights to to making the uh, the EFL and its clubs more of a well known brand, and on the back of that, increasing the commercial revenues and things of this nature. So, three hundred and seventy five million pounds for a twenty percent stake. That meant that the EFL clubs themselves would still control the vast majority of the business. So when it came to decision-making, assuming that the shareholdings were were allocated on the basis of the – sorry, it's called – assuming that the board of directors were were based on the the shareholdings, um, then the EFL would still have a significant amount of autonomy and control. Um, So nobody knew about this, but then you wouldn't necessarily expect to be told – and and then communication was stopped on Friday, right? Which was very weird because at a time when the EFL was in need of money, um, it was and and the clubs were never informed if if the stories are true. So uh, surely the, the EFL board have a responsibility to say to the clubs, "This is what we've been doing. We recommend that this is rejected." 
but we think you ought to see at least a pitch or a presentation from this company just to see what they've got to offer. Yeah. Kieran, this strikes me as a potentially big story because are you implying that communication was stopped on Friday because the EFL knew that Project Big Picture was about to come along with a huge bailout for the EFL? Well, by all accounts, uh, you know, more than one person at the EFL was aware of Project Big Picture. So uh, I, I don't know the logic behind it. C- clearly, there's been an awful lot of politics. Um, it could be that they were anticipating Project Big Picture being leaked because ultimately it, it was leaked in the Telegraph over the weekend. Yeah. They might have been given a heads up that it was going to take place. And they wanted to make sure that Project Big Picture was the only show in town. But, you know, we, we don't know. Um, I, again, if we had independent directors, uh, I think yes. you'd, you'd feel slightly more comfortable that the, the, the interests of all the clubs and football as a, as a wider concern were being taken into consideration. Well, do you know what, Kieran? If, I know we have journalists who listen to us, and I, I, I make this plea to actual professional journalists out there rather than us two uh, who will check a couple of tweets. But if there are professional journalists out there listening to us, I think this is a story that needs investigating because at a time of financial crisis, for the EFL to arbitrarily stop talking to somebody about a potential £375 million offer strikes me as irresponsible at the, at the very least so i think this is a story that needs investigating and, f- and feel free to quote us as your source on this and still with the efl um and if we're going to talk about conspiracy theories this will add fuel to any conspiracy fires david baldwin who only started as chief executive of the efl in june has already announced that he will be leaving in six months yeah so he uh and Dave Baldwin is the the former chief executive of Bradford City Football Club. You talk to Bradford City fans, they speak very highly of him. Yeah. He's the former chief exec at Burnley when they were in the Premier League. Um, I've heard Dave talk. Dave is Dave is superb. Oh. You know, I think everybody that's ever come into contact with him has been uh, impressed with his down to earth approach, his professionalism, uh, and so on. So. Uh, he he left, and there was a couple of cryptic comments that this wasn't the EFL that he he recognises from 2016 and things of this nature. Oh, okay. um, so you know, and and he has of course you know, cited you know, wants to spend more time with my family, health issues. But if, if he wants to spend more time with his family, then he's he's 49. He's not he's not our age. Um, yeah, it does seem uh, a bit of a bit of a strange one mm. uh, but again that things have been moving so fast in football that the, it's a bit like with Donald Trump you know the stories become old news and a, a byproduct of, of bigger things within within hours yeah tell me about it as somebody who spent the day writing on the Vigal News for you I know that feeling exactly <laughs> um the EFL is increasingly becoming a more and more mysterious story, isn't it? So, again, I make, I make the same plea to journalists listening. Uh, now, Macclesfield Town, local businessman Robert Smethurst has acquired the assets of Macclesfield Town. Has that got any significance at all? Uh, yes. Well, the, the good news is you know, we said we were hoping that there was going to be a Phoenix club yeah. um, to take over from Macclesfield Town, and Macclesfield FC 
are going to be that particular club. Uh, it looks like Robert Smethurst has uh, acquired the assets, i.e. the stadium. So that's where they're going to play. Brilliant. And, and that's good news. Um, and uh, Robbie Savage is going to be the, the head of football. So, you know, Robbie, Robbie lives in that way. I, yeah. I used to uh, sometimes bump into Robbie uh, when I was getting the train back home because he'd be doing BT Sport, of course, at yeah. three o'clock on a on a Saturday afternoon. And, uh, you yeah, know, by the time I got back from the train from Brighton to London, he'd, he'd be heading back to, to, to Wilmslow where he lives, just around the corner from me. Um, but, but Robbie uh, is, uh, is going to be effectively sort of the front of house as, as far as the new football club is concerned, I think that'll be quite good uh, in terms of generating interest. You know, Robbie's, uh, he, he can be a bit of a controversial character, but he's, he is very charismatic. Um, so, you know, we, we wish them all the, all the best. We do not want to see any football club, A, go out of existence, but if it is going to go out of existence, we want it to come back straight away. Absolutely, yes. Um, I was going to exclusively reveal that we're hoping to talk to Robbie Savage on our next pod about this, uh, were it not for the fact that producer guy just tweeted him, uh, basically. So anybody who follows us was able to see producer guy say to Robbie Savage, fancy coming on for a chat, which apparently is how you go about these things. I didn't I didn't know that. I thought there were more clandestine avenues, but no, apparently you just tweet them and the producer guy is the one with all the money. It's astonishing, isn't it? Uh, well, that is good news for Macclesfield Town. You know, and I, I, I suspect, Kieran, f- for a lot of Macclesfield fan, Town fans, you know, probably the limit of their ambition is a, is a season in the Championship and, and realistically the limit of their ambition is probably surviving in League One. So so thriving in a lower league at, the, at their traditional ground is probably just as good for many Macclesfield Town fans, I would have thought, wouldn't you? Yeah, sure. And yeah. I think they're going to be starting in uh, in the northwest counties. So they could be, you know, depending on what results are going to be, they could be playing against Berry's Phoenix Club next season. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that, it could be, yeah, that'll be a quite a, 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 a romantic match. I think I might try and get there. Yeah, they could be playing against uh, Staley Bridge Celtic, who my cousin plays for. Uh, now, the Scottish FA has taken out a £5 million loan from Santander. Uh, before you explain why, £5 million doesn't seem a lot in the current circumstances. I mean, it would be handy for me at the moment, I have to say, but it doesn't seem a lot for the Scottish FA. Well, uh, I mean, yeah, th- this th- this is all, this has been secured, by the way, over Hampden Park, by the looks of things. Oh, has it? Um, so it's effectively it's a mortgage style of loan, uh, with nothing wrong with that. Um, I-, I think it's really just to give the Scottish FA uh, a bit of working capital because matches have been taking place at Hampden in, in front of empty crowds. Yeah, they are down on money. They they have commitments to, to grassroots football in Scotland, much of which has effectively been put into hibernation. Um, so it, it's just really uh, money to see them over, which what we all hope will be a relatively short period of time. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you say that, that Hamden Park is being used as collateral, because like many uh, pub experts, I thought Hamden Park was owned by Queen's Park. I think it's now. I think it's now been bought out by by the Scottish FA, though. I think oh, they bought it a few years ago. That's disappointing. I'll have to change my pub patter. Um, uh, penultimate story: Manchester United now have an official, an official, mark you, buy now, pay later partner. Yeah, I mean, and, and this is, I think this is makes sense from United's perspective. Uh, that they are trying to get partners in practically every industry. Um, and whilst people will say, well, you know, Manchester United should be concentrating on matters on the pitch, given recent results, um, 
if, if you if you generate more money off the pitch, uh, it allows you to put more money into signings and uh, into recruitment. Uh, Manchester United have more business partners than any other football club, uh, not, not only in the Premier League, I, th- I think and probably in the whole planet. Oh, well, um, yeah. and, and that's why their their commercial department is is acknowledged as being the number one. Um, I'm assuming that buy now, pay later is a fancy way of saying credit card, isn't it? Uh, I, I think this is for, for goods as well as as actual loans. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So yeah, effectively, it's sort of uh, you know one of those glorified HP companies. Right. Okay. Um, and finally, a US entertainment giant has bought Stella Group, which is one of the biggest football agencies. Yes, uh, I, th- I think you know we we've been saying we felt that uh, the the backside was falling out of of the transfer market, yeah. um, and therefore. You know, agents would be suffering. There's also been the issue that that FIFA appears to have its laser beams set on agents because they're threatening to set a limit on fees. And I don't know whether you've been seeing uh, some of Gary Lineker's tweets this week. He's been saying, how can agents work on behalf of both the selling club, the buying club and the player? So yeah, agents have been in the line of fire, but, but Stellar Group are, are by far the largest um, and remember, agents do make money as, as being club, uh, being player representatives on an ongoing basis throughout their career. And you know, w- when we had Jonathan, who's an, who's an agent on, on the show, he sort of explained the role that they can play. So the, the, the reputation of agents and again, easy target, a bit like you know, highly paid players is 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 tarnished by the by the wrongans, and unfortunately, it's an industry with with a large number of wrongans. But Stella, yeah, you know, I've seen their finances. It, it it is very profitable, and it could be that this entertainment group uh, has taken the view that Stella could use its its foothold in football to go into other sports and also to go into your industry as well yeah. to act on behalf of clients. Uh, much as I love Gary Lineker, and I genuinely do, uh, I think it was probably episode two of this pod where we discussed how agents can act for the buying club, the selling club and the player. So we're ahead of the curve. Uh, um, Questions at priceoffootball.com is what you need. If you have any questions for us about any aspect of football or about your club or about Project Big Picture, uh, if you think we haven't covered your specific uh, query, uh, before we say goodbye, Kieran has his usual uh, farewell. Thank you. Uh, once again, folks, thank you for all your feedback. Uh, thanks for your reviews uh, on on the Apple Podcast app. Uh, if you do enjoy the show, you know, we 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 genuinely have fun doing it. Uh, it. It does take a fair amount of research and time to put it all together, but you know we do that uh, with, with a smile on our face. Uh, if, if you give us some reviews, give us that, give us that five stars on the Apple Podcast app. It helps us get up the charts. And yeah, when we when we're trying to get the likes of Robbie Savage, although this that, this might actually prove to be a known goal, um, if we're trying to get Robbie Savage on the show and he sees that we're doing well in the charts, he's more inclined as our other guests to to respond to us uh, our, our random uh, random uh, random requests on Twitter and come forth and come on the show. Um, so if you're enjoying it, and also if you think that uh, there's ways that we can improve it, just just put that on the the uh, Apple. Uh, podcast app. Yeah, you give us five stars and then give us the advice. Uh-huh. Stop, stop talking less. Yes, yeah, talk less about Russia. Talk less about anything else in particular, uh, or tell us what you do like, um, or, or just say 
you, know, you say two words, great show, mm-hmm. eyebrow raising. It makes no difference. Uh, it's the five stars that matter. It's, it's due to the funky algorithm that Apple themselves use. But apart from that, and far more importantly, look after yourselves and look after your loved ones. We're all going through a tough time at, peer, at present, and uh, we've, we've got to look after each other. Yeah, and uh, more importantly, two things. If you're in the mood for giving out five stars, and Kieran and I both have a book that would love a five-star review on Amazon, and even more importantly than that, happy anniversary, mate. Been a pleasure. And you, Kevin. It's been an absolute honour, and I've learned a lot. Oh, me too. See you, mate. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I'm for the